0: Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known. The Gospel lesson for today is from Mark chapter 8, verse 1 through 10. This can be found in your bulletin. In this account, Jesus uses a meager amount of food to feed 4,000 people. God receives our offerings, no matter how large or small, and multiplies them to satisfy the needs of his people. A reading from Mark chapter 8, beginning with the first verse. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that, they, that these should also be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalhumatha. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word.
1: A couple weeks ago, Pastor Nathan stood up in front of us church to remind us of our financial deficit in our budget. And he reminded us that it was a $777,777 deficit. And he said something like, this is a sign. This is a test. And now I'm standing before you proud to say, church, you have risen to the test through your generosity and through the faithfulness of God we have almost met our budget, praise God. Now I'm also here to say we're not quite there yet. There's still 5 days left in the fiscal year and we still need a little bit to make up the difference. But I also want to say as your pastor, well done church. And you might be wondering why I mentioned the church deficit as I open my sermon. And that's because that's exactly where Mark chapter 8 begins with a deficit. However, it's not a deficit of finances. Rather, it's a deficit of food for an incredibly large, hungry group of people. And what we're going to see in this re- Jesus' response to these people in need, in deficit, is that our Lord, he's filled with compassion. But his compassion, it's not a passive thing. It's actually an active thing. It leads him to do something, to take action. And what we'll see in this passage is that action is by providing for our needs, but not exactly in the way you might expect. So let's dive into Mark chapter eight, starting in verse one. You can open up your bulletins and follow along with me there. And we're gonna pick up the story uh, with verse one. So it says this, in those days when a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. Because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. By this point, Jesus' ministry in Galilee has absolutely exploded. He has large crowds of people coming to seek him as he's performed miracles and he's been teaching. But by this point in Mark chapter eight, he's gone on to a new region and he's been doing ministry there for three days, a region where he did very little ministry up to this point in the New Testament. And it's the region of the Decapolis. We talked about the Decapolis a few weeks ago when I compared it to Las Vegas. The Decapolis was a conglomeration of 10 Hellenistic or Greek speaking cities in what's now modern day Northern Israel and Southern Syria. And did you notice what Jesus said as he looked out upon this crowd in the Decapolis? It's a very interesting line. It's there in verse two. He says this, I have compassion on the crowd. What I find interesting about this statement is multiple things. First, this is the only time in the entire New Testament where Jesus specifically says himself that he has compassion for a specific group of people. There are other times in the New Testament where it says that Jesus had compassion or felt compassion for an individual or a situation in the third person. But this is the only time this phrase shows up in the first person singular, on the lips of Jesus himself for a specific group. And what's so interesting about that is the group of people that he's looking out over. He's looking out over Gentiles. People that were not included in the promises of Israel. People that didn't receive those promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People that were not following the laws of God. People that their lifestyles were not honoring to God. In fact, they worshiped many different gods in this region. And yet, what does Jesus say as he looks out over these people? He says, I have compassion on the crowd." What's beautiful about this is it reveals something, not only about Jesus, but about God the Father. And that's that God, he has compassion for all people. And it reminds us of that anointing that John would later write about Jesus, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. What's interesting about that anointing that Jesus carried is not necessarily those two things, grace and truth, but the order of those two things. You see, Jesus, he always led with grace. And this is a good lesson for us, church, because if a church is known for every, anything in our nation today, it's not necessarily for leading with grace. I think sometimes we get this backward. We lead with the truth. We tell people, if you get your lives right, then we'll love you. But that's not what Jesus does. He looks out on this crowd who's not living godly lives And what does he say? He says, I have compassion on the crowd. So maybe you're wondering this morning, what's Jesus' posture towards me in my situation? Well, I can tell you, it's one of love, one of tenderness, one of mercy, and one of compassion. But here's the beautiful thing about our Lord's compassion is it's not a passive thing. It's actually an active thing. God, his compassion, it leads him to taking action for us when we are in need. And what we see here in this passage is one of the main ways his compassion works itself out is by providing for us. But it's not necessarily in the way that you would expect. He provides for us by actually multiplying what's given to him. So let's take a look at that going on in verse four. It says this. And the disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. Now I find this section of scripture quite interesting because in Mark chapter 6, Just a few days ago, Jesus fed the 5,000 in Galilee. And now he turns to his disciples and he says, I have compassion on this crowd of 4,000 people and I want to feed them. And I think Jesus is doing something here with the disciples. I think kind of like Nathan said to us a few weeks ago, this is a test. Jesus knows the disciples have just witnessed him feed more people than he wants to feed now. And I think Jesus hoped for the disciples to respond this way. Lord, we don't know how you're going to do it. We don't know how this is possible, but we just saw you do this a few days ago. So here's our food. Do it again, Lord. But notice that's not the reaction he gets. I love the disciples for this reason. They're so human. They say, how can one feed these people in this desolate place? And I think right here, it's really easy for us to be hard on the disciples and say, those idiots, they didn't get it. But if I'm honest church, I'm just like them in many ways. Because God, he's abundantly provided for my life more than I could ask or imagine over and over again in the past. And yet like the disciples, when I come to a new situation that's out of my control, that I can't solve on my own, My knee-jerk reaction is not, Lord, you've done this before. Do it again. Do it again. No, just like the disciples, I admit that I lack faith. I lack faith. But notice what happens anyway. The disciples, even though they're contentious and they don't necessarily believe Jesus can do it, they still give him their bread. And he takes that bread and he multiplies it and feeds the crowd. It's funny, I was reading this passage a few weeks ago with a group of soldiers and uh, one of the soldiers, an army surgeon, he stopped in the middle of the chapel service and he said, chaplain, I have a question. How is this possible? Really? Jesus, seven loaves of bread feeding 4,000 people? Come on, you gotta be kidding me here. And if you're feeling that tension this morning, my guidance to you is the same I gave to this officer. I think we, as modern people, we often view miracles backward. In other words, we view miracles as an interruption to the created order, when that's not actually what they are at all. Miracles are merely a restoration of creation. Miracles are a restoration of the way things were meant to be. You see, when God created this world, he created a perfect world with no lack, with no sickness, with no death. And when we see Jesus healing and providing food and raising the dead, he's not actually interrupting the created order. He's merely restoring the created order to the way it was meant to be, to God's original intent. And in fact, we view things as natural that are interruptions to the created order. Death sickness, lack. These things were never God's intent for creation. And so we view these things backward. What I find more interesting about this passage, what I think the surprise is, as I'm often looking for in a story, the surprise is this, that Jesus invites the disciples in to be a part of this miracle. I mean, think about it for a moment. Jesus is the authority of all authorities. He's the king of the universe. In Hebrews 1, it says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. But Jesus, he invites the disciples in to be a part of this miracle. He could have easily created bread and fish out of thin air had he wanted to. So why then? Why does he invite the disciples to be a part of this miracle? And why does he invite us in to be a part of his restoration process today? Well, I think it's a twofold reason. The first reason that Jesus invited the disciples in, in the story to give him their bread, and he invites us in to give to him, is that it's a lesson in trust. You see, when we give to God, what we are essentially saying is, God, we trust you. When we tithe, when we take 10% of our income, what we're saying is, Lord, we trust that you can provide for our family on 90%. I love what one of our former pastors used to say about this lesson in trust. Uh, Pastor Neely Tao, she would say this, that 90% with God is much better than 100% without him. So that's the first thing. It's a lesson in trust when we give to him. But that's not the only reason Jesus invites the disciples in. It's not the only reason that he invites us in. I think that actually, God, he has a much bigger goal in his mind. And that's that when he invites us in to give to him, he's inviting us to be a part of his restoration process in this world. You see, like the disciples, we live in a world that's filled with need a world that's filled with brokenness and sickness and lack. And when we answer to Jesus' call, when we join him and we give to him, what we're doing essentially is we're becoming a part of God's restoration process here and now. This is why the main topic of all of Jesus' sermons is the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign now, here in the created order. And there's three main ways that God invites us to be a part of his restoration process. And it's by giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure. Those are the three ways. We talk about this sometimes at Standwich. And as your pastor, church, I wanna say, you all get this right. You get this right. We just witnessed it this morning. Little David Tennyson, he gave of his talent in worship to God. This upcoming week, we're gonna have Sky Kids here where we'll have over a hundred kids on this property learning about Jesus. And many of you will give your time to these children to teach them about Jesus and his love and his kingdom. And church, also you give of your treasure We've seen this over the past five weeks, even as you've given to the operating deficit here at our church. So as your pastor, I wanna say, well done, church. Well done at being generous people at giving of these things. But here's the thing with generosity. I believe that Jesus, he's always calling us deeper. He's always calling us further into this restoration process here and now. For some of you, that means that God, he's given you a particular talent that you're not utilizing for his kingdom. You could have the talent of teaching and maybe God's calling you to lead a Bible study or a life group in this next year. For others of you, you have an abundance of time to serve him and maybe God's calling you to be a part of coffee hour, to be a greeter on Sunday morning. For others of you, God might be calling for you to give more of your treasure toward this incredible project we're doing in Stanford or maybe here at the church. But here's the thing, church. I know that God, he has a calling for each one of you. And as I look out on this congregation, guess what I see? An abundance of time and talent and treasure that Jesus wants to utilize for his kingdom expansion here and now. Here and now today. And what we know is that we give always and ultimately because he first gave for us. Right? The gospel writer John would say it later this way in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. All of our generosity is ultimately rooted in the generosity of God. So as we close this morning, I'm going to pray a blessing over you all. And I'm going to pray specifically that the Holy Spirit speaks to you on how he's calling you deeper in God's restoration process here and now. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you modeled a life of generosity for us. Jesus, how you were full of compassion and how your compassion led you to action. And so Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us up with your compassion for a broken and hurting world. God, I believe that you have a specific calling and anointing on each of our lives. And so Lord, would you fill us up with your compassion so that we could go out and participate in your restoration process here and now in creation. And God, I thank you in advance for answering this prayer. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.